We're in Genesis chapter 17. This is the first time that they hear that Sarah is going to be the mother of, of Isaac. They waited, uh, God waited until the last possible minute to tell them. So we're, uh, if you look at the life of Abraham, you see the one almost in the middle pointing down uh, where it says Abraham fathered Ishmael. Uh, it'll be th- that, that was last week. Uh, this week, we're 13 years later, where Abraham has promised a son through Sarah. So it's been 13 years since the last time he's heard anything from God. This is the fifth time God has spoken to Abraham. Now, when the covenant was, was made, God spoke numerous things to Abraham. But as far as individual events, this is only the fifth time in his life. He's 99 years old. 30 years, he heard from God five different times. Uh, and uh, the first time was in chapter 12 and first, verse 1 when he was called to leave Ur of the Chaldees. The second time was in chapter 12 and verse 7. Actually, that's the first time God appeared to Abraham. Uh, that was when he arrived at Canaan. So God called him to leave and didn't speak to him again until he arrived where God called him to go. Now, there's a pattern here, and I hope you see it, that uh, God tells us what to do, and he doesn't come with us. He doesn't bless us again. He doesn't, I don't want to say work with us. He, he didn't speak to Abraham again. It's the safest way to say that until Abraham did what he was told to do. Uh, if you're wondering why you haven't heard from, God, heard from God, you might go back and say, is there something I haven't done that God has asked me to do? It would be good to know. You know, the next time God speaks to Abraham, he appears to him in chapter 12. He speaks to him again after a lot separates in 13, chapter 13. Uh, and in chapter 15, there's an extended conversation at the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant. Now I'm going to make I'm going to make some 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 I don't want to say a big deal about it. But I'm going to make a little deal about that. I'm back in chapter 15. We're now back. We're back a couple of chapters. Um, in 17:1 is where we begin today. But I want to get you back a little bit because I want you to see something. Uh, it said, and he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, there's an argument about what Abraham actually believed uh, when it says he believed in the Lord. The Lord promised him a son. Now, Paul will tell us that the son that was promised, Abraham sees down through the future as Jesus. When I read it, I don't read it that way. I read it that that God had promised him a son and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's what we call justification. I'm justified because I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness was imputed to me. So his righteousness became my righteousness and my sin became his sin. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, Paul tells us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The, the act of being made righteous is justification. So what, it, what it's saying here is that Abraham, through faith, believed and was counted as righteous. Now, this is significant because when we get up to 17, there's going to be some obedience that's required. But the obedience follows faith. Now, the, the second half of that passage in chapter 15. Uh, Lisa, are you cold in the back? Punch, punch that. Is everybody a little bit cool? I don't know if I'm not enough circulation in my feet or not, but I'm thinking, gee, I need fur-lined boots. Punch that up a couple of degrees and hit hold. Hit center and hold. A couple, not 85 now. 
right. <laughs> we might have somebody else sit back there, you know, <laughs> just to be safe. So it says in, uh, back in chapter 15 now, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. Now, all along this 30-year journey that Abraham is going to make with God, this is going to be a slow revelation. But the covenant that God made in chapter 15 is one-sided. You remember they split those animals in half, and, and Abraham did not walk through the animals. Only God did. Now, that's sort of the equivalent of you go to the lawyer's office, and the, law, and, and the guy you're buying the land from signs the contract, but you don't sign it. So God signed the contract when he appeared visually and traveled through those that offering that was made, but Abraham did not do it. So we, we say this is an unconditional an unconditional contract or an unconditional covenant. Abraham didn't have to do anything to receive it. He had, doesn't have to do anything to keep it, all right? When we get to chapter 17 today, there are going to be some requirements to that, and that's why I want to emphasize the fact faith first, and that's really the theme of the whole sermon today is faith first and then obedience. Um, so let me move on. Here, uh, and Abraham is now 99 years old. Am I at the right spot? Yeah. And Abraham was 99 years old and nine. And the Lord appeared unto Abram. I'm sorry, Abram was 90 years old and nine. I said 99 and nine. That makes him, what, 118. Uh, no, he's 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abram the second time. There's going to be one more, I believe. And said unto him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. So this is, in, in effect, the fulfilling of the contract that God made uh, 20, 20 some years ago. Uh, so God meets him and says, I am El Shaddai. And that means the all powerful one. We use the word omnipotent. The, the names that God addresses himself by describe his I don't want to say abilities, describe him. He describes himself through the names that he, is, he ascribes to himself. So I am the almighty one. There's nothing that God cannot do. You know, at a time like this one, a number of us are looking at uh, depending on God for healing and, and looking at the problems in our world and looking at what's going on in Israel and Hamas. And we, we really have a tendency to think that the world is out of control, but God is the omnipotent one. There is nothing that God can't do. Good choice of songs, Thomas. I like that song. The battle belongs to the Lord. You know, I, uh, I was late. I've never had a PET scan before. I, I've had a CAT scan but with a PET scan, they stretched my arms up over my head. Didn't want my elbows in the way. I don't know why. And then they stuck in this little tube. Uh, little for me. Some of you would fit in there and have room to play with a couple of friends. But in my case, I filled it up pretty good. But uh, And then you're stuffed in there for 20 minutes. And I was thinking, I'm in there 20 minutes. Jesus was in, in, in a position like that for six hours. And I think, oh, my goodness, 20 minutes was just about all I could stand. If it had been 25, I think I would have had something to say to the people, you know. But the point is, he, God is going to ask Sarah in the na next chapter, is there anything too hard for God? We think there is. Sarah's 99 years old. She's, she's no longer capable of bearing children. You know, she, uh, Abraham is 99 years old. He's, he's past the age. God is going to rejuvenate both of them, so much so that when they go visit Abimelech, that Abimelech, Abraham is worried that Abimelech is going to steal her because she's so beautiful. She's 90 years old. You know, 
I, I, they might have been well preserved in that day, but still 90 is 90. There's no getting around it, right? You know. So now we have Abraham's half of the contract that, that God made with him in chapter 15. There's two requirements, and I'm going to talk so much you're going to lose them, so I'm going to give you both on the front end. The first is walk before me and be perfect. And the second is circumcision. So one is obedience through his walk, and the other is circumcision. Uh, Abraham is required to behave in a way that God prescribed, to walk blamelessly. The idea of perfect, the, the word, the idea of the word, I'm not saying this correctly, the word that he uses, the idea that he carries, is not absolute perfection. It's the idea is walk blamelessly. It's the idea of walk in purity. Nobody is going to walk perfectly. Nobody. And yet, interestingly enough, when, Ab when Jesus was teaching in, in Matthew chapter 5, his culmination of the law, it's a two or three chapter dissertation on the law, and it was actually the whole... The whole uh, sermon, Sermon on the Mount, the whole sermon was a fulfillment of Scripture because the Jews had said for centuries that when Messiah comes, he's going to teach us the perfect definitions of the law. And if you go back and read the Sermon on the Mount, you will see the perfect definitions of the law. If you look at the Old Testament law, and you look at what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, you will see that he's actually fulfilling that prophecy. But what's interesting is he concludes it with these words, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the goal of the law. And I've often said that if you want to save yourself by keeping the law, that's the result. You have to be absolutely perfect. And it's not just it's not just perfect from now on. It's perfect from birth all the way until death. You have to be as perfect as God. The point is, of course, it's impossible to save yourself by means of the law. And what, what, God, what God is telling Abraham here is shape up and start doing what's right. But God does not, in my opinion, does not expect Abraham to walk in absolute perfection. What he expects him to do is to grow up and walk with maturity. And walk in obedience to God. You know, Abraham will never attain the goal of perfection, and neither will we. But that's our target. We can't say, "Well, I can't be perfect, so I'll do anything I want to do." That's that's the wrong attitude for the Christian. Our goal is to be as righteous as the Jesus Christ who lives in us is. That's our goal. We can't just make excuses because we're fallen creatures that we should go on sinning. So that's the target that we have. He says, walk before me and be thou perfect. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was Stephen Cole that said, when you think about walking, God is not asking us to run with him. Thank God I hate to run. He's not asking us to be in a hurry. He's talking about a slow, methodical, step-by-step -step walk with God that gets us in the end where we're supposed to be. It's not a race. Our walk with God is not a race. It's, it's a steady step-by-step -step consistency that we do as we walk along this road, doing a little better every day, walking a little more closer to Jesus every day. It's a walk. We wake up every morning and we ask God, what do you have for me to do today? We go to bed every night and we thank God for the day God has given us and ask him to help us do better than we did the day before. That's just what it's like. It's a walk. It's not a run. And Abraham, of course, God appeared to him in verse 1. 
And <clears throat> I would love a description of what he looked like. Uh, you know, when he appeared uh, at the contract, he was a, a clay pot with a furious fire coming out of it. You know, so it was like an image or an or a metaphor for God that he saw. We don't know what he saw here. It just says Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, now you know, if God appeared in this room right now, we would all fall on our faces. That's the proper response. And as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham for a father of many nations uh, have I made thee. So Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, father of the multitudes. Now, so far he has, what, one son. And that, you could say, is illegitimate. You know, I mean, it just depends on your cultures of the time. In those days, I guess it was acceptable. We wouldn't consider it so today. We wouldn't consider it appropriate for me to take a servant and uh, have children by my servant. We consider that inappropriate. Uh, but when you think about it, God has changed a bald-headed man's name to Harry. All right? He's got no children, and now he's going to be the father of the multitude, right? Many nations, you know. So, you know, when you think about, when you think about Abraham going into a new village, and they say, what's your name? And he goes, father of the multitude. And he, they go, where's your kids? <laughs> little embarrassing and I will make thee am I there and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful exceeding no L Y at the end exceeding fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee had to be a bit embarrassing to tell people his new name but you have to understand Hebrews 11 1 says, now, by, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We need to believe it first before we will see it. And that's why it's in this order. For by it, Paul writes in Hebrews, the elders obtained a good report. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan. You notice as we're going through this, <clears throat> we learn more and more about the promise of the land and what it, what it contains to, how much land is involved uh, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, of course, this is in large part of what the whole battle is about. The, uh, the Arabs will tell you that Abraham lied when he wrote these verses down, you know. And we believe Abraham did not lie. So that's why you say, well, why? Why would we support the Jews and, and, and not the Arabs? And the answer is because God gave this land to the Jews. And the Bible is expressly clear about that. And you say, well, why would we believe the Bible? I mean, really, Abraham could have lied. Well, he could have lied. I mean, you, you can't argue the fact that Abraham could have made this stuff up. But then we know that Jesus accepted this. So you go back and you find out what Jesus said about this. And you understand that Jesus is the Son of God and he isn't lying. So even though we might have a question to doubt the truthfulness or the veracity of Abraham, we have no question in the world about the veracity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou shalt. 
and thy seed after thee in this generation. Now I have a little list here that I just made up uh, yesterday. There were seven promises here. The first promise is I will make my covenant between me and thee. Try as you do to get around it. Try as we might to try to get around it. Abraham's people are the chosen people who belong to the land. Much as you want to uh, make excuses for other nations, the fact is Israel belongs to the Jews. Uh, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, you know, and thou shalt be the father of many nations. Well, we have the nation of Israel for sure. We also have the nation, the nation of the Arabs, the Arab nations. Uh, and we also have spiritual Israel, that's the church. So when you think about it, there's at least three nations that own their heritage back to Abraham. Now, we're, we're tied into Abraham spiritually, Paul says. So we are of Abraham by faith, but we are certainly part of the inheritance that God has promised to Abraham. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. There at present, well, this was 2022. At 2022, it was estimated to be 15.3 million Jews alive in the world. Now, that's really not as many as you would think until you realize that 15 million of them were killed a generation ago. And if those 15 million or 6 million, I think they say 6 million, if they hadn't been killed, the numbers would be much higher. But at least right now, there's believed to be 15.3 million Jews. There's also believed to be 464 million Arabs in the world. And not, not followers of Islam, that number is in the billions, but Arabs, actually descendants of Ishmael. And of course, there's 2.38 billion, with a B, Christians in the world. So when you add it up, when, when God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, that certainly, for what it's worth, is a literal interpretation of prophecy, is it not? I would say. You know. And it says kings shall come from thee in verse 6. You know, uh, Certainly every king of Israel is a descendant of Abraham, but also... Every, I, I don't know if the Arab peoples had what they called kings, but they certainly had tribal leaders, and every one of them is a descendant of Abraham. But when you think about kings, we really think about the king. It doesn't say the king. It says kings, plural. But king, the king we're looking for is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, and I don't know how many generations there are between Abraham and Jesus, but Abraham is, in fact, a great-great-grandfather with many greats in between of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the king we're interested in is the king of kings, the Lord of lords Jesus, a distant grandson of Abraham. Abraham was considered to be Jesus' father. Now, the point is, Jesus said it himself. John 4.22 to the woman at the well, he said, salvation is of the Jews. You can't, you can't get saved without the Jew Jesus. There's no salvation apart from it. Paul said it in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in other, in any other, for there is none other name other than Jesus, whereby we must be saved. The only name that will save us is Jesus. Salvation is of the Jews. The king we're looking for is King Jesus. And he is our only hope. Uh, six, my covenant will be an everlasting covenant between your seed and me. You know, we make this thing about uh, Jesus says, you know, um, our salvation is eternal. 
everlasting, literally into the age. If it's everlasting, it can't be based upon the Jewish behavior. If from the time of Abraham, it was going forever, it couldn't be based on Jewish behavior. They can't do anything to forfeit it, and they didn't do anything to get it. It's just like eternal life. If our eternal life is eternal, truly, as Jesus said, it can't end. That's why Jesus could say to Mary at, at, the, at the grave of Lazarus, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. We will never die because we have, we possess, because of Jesus, not because of anything we've done, we possess eternal life. We step from life to life. We step from life with a lower L to life with a big L. You know, we're not, there's no period in there. I remember Corey Ten Boone said she passed out at, at muster one morning in the, in the camp where she was in Germany, and her, she just blacked out, and she woke up later, and she said it terrified her because she never thought there'd ever be a time in her life where she would black out, you know. Well, she wasn't dead, but she thought she was dead. She thought immediately when she was dead, she'd step right into the presence of Jesus. That's what we expect. But blacking out to her really, really kind of frightened her. I can see why. And I will give you this land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. It doesn't matter who in the world fights over it. And we understand from Revelation that Antichrist is going to move in there with his armies. And he's going to declare himself the God of this land. But we know he's going to, in the end, be displaced by the God of this land. We know that's going to happen. Now we get to the second requirement, which is a bit embarrassing. This is my covenant, which shall keep between me and you. And I see it after thee, every man-child among you shall be circumcised. Now, I, I haven't found proof on either side. When you go back in history and try to find out where circumcision originated, uh, it's, it's really kind of hard to do. I believe it originated here. But if it originated here, it seems like we need a little more instructions. Or I don't know. It seems like definitions, instructions, something would help. you know. Uh, but apparently, whatever God said to Abraham, it was clear. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and thee. You know. Now, Paul makes this point. Now, how did I get there? I'm lost. Give me a minute here. So, Paul makes a point. Now, now remember... I'm going to back up a little bit. Let me back up to 17. I've lost my place. I'm talking amongst myself. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of a keeping. Now remember that Abraham was justified, and we would say saved. Abraham was saved by faith in chapter 15. Now we're in chapter 17. Because he believes God, this is why he's going to do this. Now Paul makes a point. To Abraham and his seed was the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. I know that's a hard sentence to understand. But what Paul is saying is that the promise that he believed in chapter 15 was a promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. So his salvation was based on his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on. I know you think, well, what's that got to do with it? Let me go one more. Paul tells us that circumcision then, it isn't a right of entrance. It's not how you're saved. Paul shows us it's a sign of the salvation we already have. All right? It's a sign. It's a symbol. 
It's a demonstration. Now, you can, if you want to read about this, there's a lot of very interesting stuff written about it and how it, it separates Israel from the, the, the pagan nations and how it affects their sex life and how it affects their health. I mean, there's an awful lot written about this, and I don't want to talk about it. All right, so we're just going to skip it. But he said, Romans 4, Paul said, uh, he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he yet had, being uncircumcised. So we're saying that it was faith first and then circumcision. Are you seeing that? Okay. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they might, though they be not circumcised. So Abraham was saved before he was circumcised in order to demonstrate the fact that the Gentiles, now we're talking many, many years later, that the Gentiles could come along and they do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. That's the argument that Paul is making, which was a big deal in Paul's day, you know. So then God goes on with some illustrations here, and then I'm going to just talk about it a little bit. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man, child in your generation. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. You couldn't go into the temple unless you were circumcised. My And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And then I think the last verse I wanted to read on this was the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised. That soul should be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So if, if a Jew refuses to be circumcised, he should be killed. Cut off means karat is the word. To, he should be executed. I think probably he'd be given an opportunity to leave town. I think I would leave town myself in that situation. Now, some Christian churches that you'll go to, and some of you have probably gone to them, believe that circumcision correlates with baptism. That's kind of the same thing, that the baptism in the New Testament is the same as circumcision in the Old Testament. And I would argue that that's not true. But these churches will baptize their babies just like on the eighth day they circumcise their babies in the Old Testament. I would argue that that's a mistake. I would argue that the circumcision is a sign of the covenant with Israel. Baptism is an entirely different thing, you know. Now, this, this happened in many Christian churches as the Protestant Reformation began to spread and break away from Catholicism. Then they practiced infant baptism. And uh, the Baptists, <laughs> we have a thing we call the service of dedication. And we have, if you have a newborn baby, we come up here and we, you know, we don't, we don't do a circumcision. But we, we do gather together as a church and pray for the family, the father, the mother, and the baby. And we commit ourselves. That's a covenant, right? You understand the word covenant is a contract. So baby dedication, in my opinion is the closest thing we Protestants will get to circumcision in that we are dedicating ourselves and our community. See, it's a community commitment, our community, to raising up this child in the Christian tradition. Hence, we provide Sunday school and events for the kids, and we do, do what we can. Some churches homeschool. Some churches have schools in their churches. We do what we can to raise their child in the Christian tradition. So I think that correlates the closest for what we do in today in relationship to circumcision because when you were circumcised you were circumcised into a community and you didn't have faith at eight days of age you didn't make a commitment you didn't decide this for yourself that promise that we make 
for that, that little child and that family that we make as a family. That promise is a covenant. It's a contract with that family that we are responsible to as a church to uphold. And I think that correlates with it. Now, as for baptism, see, our ancestors used to be called against Baptists. They were called Anabaptists. And, and that's because we were against the baptizing of infants. And that's because we just believe certain things literally that other churches just, well, they either ignore it or they just say it doesn't apply here. I don't know. But as our ancestors studied the scriptures, they came to believe that faith was necessary before baptism. So you have to get to a point where you're old enough to believe in order to be baptized. Now, I've baptized a few people that have said they were baptized younger, but they've come to make a commitment to Christ. They've come to a new faith relationship with Christ, and they want to be baptized again. And I've done that. I've baptized them a second time, you know, because it's faith first. That's because I believe that baptism is not a sign that families father follow, but it's an individual's faith that's illustrated that's already been placed in God. So when I come to Christ and I ask him to save me, he comes into my life, I die to my old life, and he resurrects me to newness of life in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what happened to me that night sitting on the bed. That's what happened to you that day or that night that you first received Christ. You believed first and you were baptized. And that's exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark chapter 16. Jesus' own words. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And when you look at, you know, one of the arguments we Baptists love is Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, Philip is transported down into the desert, meets a eunuch. Eunuch is reading scriptures. You know this story. And they're going on their way, and Philip is explaining to the eunuch uh, the whole story of Jesus and how, how to understand the prophecies of the Old Testament. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, it's horrible we don't have a name for this guy. Uh, he's just, he's an administrator in Egypt. And he's going to carry the gospel into Egypt. Be nice to know his name. You know, I, I hope there are name tags in heaven because I'm terrible with names. And I really hope they don't have a name tag said the eunuch. I'm the eunuch. You know, I hope not. Uh, I think we're all going to be eunuchs then anyway. But that's a different story, isn't it? And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And look what Philip said. If you believe with all your heart, Thou mayest, and I'm sure that Philip is following what Jesus said, that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Belief first, baptized second. So I don't believe that, that there's probably more information than you actually want, but I don't believe that baptism correlates to circumcision. I think baptism correlates to something that's whole brand new, something that the Jews would never understand because they were trying to the best of their ability to serve God in the flesh. We aren't. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're living through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been regenerated. We have a new heart. It's an entirely different thing. Well, let's see. I think I've said all that. As for Sarah, there's a whole bunch of as for here. You know, as for you, as for Sarah, as for Ishmael. As for Sarah, and God sent it to Abraham, as for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai anymore, but, there sh but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. And Abraham's going, wait, say that again. I will bless her and give thee a son also of her, Sarah. I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be on her. God changes her name from princess, Sarai, to noblewoman, Sarah. 
And finally, for the first time, Sarah's 90 years old. Well, she's 89, actually. Uh, Sarah's 89 years old. For the first time, she finds out she's going to be the mother. The mother of the Messiah is significant. First time that we know it. Progressive revelation. God didn't tell them all at the beginning. You know, it would have been nice if he'd had an outline back in Ur, you know, oh no, by the way, Sarah will have a child. Saved a whole lot of trouble, a lot of struggle for Abraham. God doesn't work that way. He'll reveal it to us as we need it. What's amazing is that God will regenerate both of their reproductive abilities, so much so, as I said, that Sarah will be desirable to Abimelech when we get up a couple of more characters. And Abraham will still be siring children when he's 140 years old. I mean, he has been rebuilt from the ground up. And Abraham falls on his face and laughs. Of course, you know the name Isaac means laughter. And laughs and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? Are you kidding me? And shall Sarah, 99 years old, bear a child? Finally, he understands the plan of God. After following God all these 30 years, now he understands God intended from the start that Sarah and he would be beyond the childbearing years before God brought this child because God wants this child to be a miracle. He wants it to be that the battle belongs to him. He wants us to trust him for the impossible. The purpose was to show that nothing is impossible with God. That's good to know. I go see the doctor tomorrow. It's good to know as I sit down that there's nothing impossible for God. As we look at our world today, it's good to know that there's nothing impossible with God. And as we think about the future of our children and our grandchildren, you know, it's pretty bleak out there. I don't know if you listen to many news stories or you listen to much on the Internet. Don't do it. But if you do, boy, it's pretty bleak out there, you know. And, you know, you have to remember that there's nothing that is impossible for God. Sarah's 90 years old. Abraham's going to be 100 years old when his son is born. Now, in all of this, you know, Abraham, it's been 13 years. Ishmael's 13 years old. And Abraham loves Ishmael. He was never hated. You know. And he probably realizes that he jumped the gun. Yeah, I didn't trust God, so I did it myself. Now look what I've done. Oh, oh God, that Ishmael might live before thee. A little bit of guilt in that. I wish I had waited. As a lot of us throughout our lives have said, I wish I had waited, isn't there? And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And Abram's having a little whole time wrapping his mind around this thing, right? And thou shalt call his name Isaac. For I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. The messianic line, the promises to Israel come through Isaac and not Ishmael. Make sure you remember that. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him. Will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget. And I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear. Is this the third or the fourth time he said that? Unto thee at a set time this year. Well, God promises to bless Ishmael. Ishmael was not hated. The Arabs are not a hated people. It's clearly when you, when you go through this slowly, you realize that 
God intended the Arab nations to be there. And that God loves the Arab nations. He had a purpose in it. And maybe someday we'll understand that purpose. Uh, it's interesting how the world now is siding with the uh, Arab side and not the Jews. And that, again, is a literal fulfillment of prophecy. Well, what's interesting now to me is Abraham, God leaves and Abraham just goes out and does it. Boom. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house and all that were brought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. Tactically, this is not a very good idea. All right, he's got uh, five nations, four nations, uh, four kingdoms that are dead set against him and would love to destroy him. And to incapacitate every male in his camp is not a good idea. But Abraham is more concerned with obedience than he is protecting himself. And all that were bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, that day. And it takes as much as three weeks to heal, as God has said to him. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day, was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son and all the men of his house born in the house. I mean, it's, re, it's re-emphasizing the fact that Abraham, dare we say, learned his lesson. At least he got it, he got it clearly and he decided obedience is not, so this is not something I should put off. He just immediately obeyed. And all the men of his house born in the house bought with the money of the stranger were circumcised with him. You can't argue with that. God tells you to do something, do it. God speaks to you, obey. Do not delay, do not wait. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Father Abraham. Thank you for the example that he set to us. Thank you that his failures included our failures. Thank you, Father, that his successes and obedience included our obedience. Help us to be, Father, more obedient and less disobedient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.